0: Thank you. It's interesting. You've almost been like a son to me as well. It's a joke. He's my dad, just in case you didn't know. Um, Hey, happy Mother's Day. Uh, Really, really uh, glad to be up here for Mother's Day. If you didn't know... Actually, Mother's Day is a really important day in the vineyard movement. It was a, a really, really cool day a number of years ago where the vineyard really got to meet the Holy Spirit. So it's a, it's a really cool day to be preaching. And before I jump into my sermon, I just want to take a moment to highlight one more thing. You know, we still need a few volunteers this summer to help out with the kids. Uh, every summer, we give all of the, the teachers a break just to recoup. Um, and so we need a few people to help out just a couple times over the summer, especially for two through four-year-olds here on Sunday. So I know there are some people here today who could, who could really help out this summer. All right. So yeah, Happy Mother's Day. I just want to take a moment to, 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 to honor all the mothers who are here. But I also want to just, for, for, for a moment, just say... Um, Mother's Day can be a really complicated uh, holiday. You know, over the years, after, uh, you know, I was pretty naive to this in in my younger years, but after talking to a number of people, I have really realized this, this day can be very tough for many individuals, and, you know, for a variety of reasons, for, you know, you may have a complicated relationship with your mother, you may have lost your mother, you may have struggled with not being able to have kids for, for lots of variety of reasons. So I want to also honor you today um, and just say thank you for being here. And, and if we could just take a moment, I want to just say a prayer for the mothers who are here, but also those who, who are maybe wrestling with, with the implications of what today is. So, so Lord, we do just thank you for, for mothers we thank you for spiritual mothers. We thank you for, for all the mothers who, who are with us. We just ask that you would bless them, that you would equip them, that you would teach them more about what it means to be a godly mother. You would, you would empower them and let them feel blessed today, Lord. And also we just pray for those who are just really wrestling through today, who are struggling today, who, who have a complicated relationship with motherhood, Lord. And we just ask that you would draw really near to them you would minister to them, that you would, you would let them know how you see them, how value they are. We love you, Jesus. We just ask that you would be with us all as we look at your word today. Amen. All right, so we are actually kicking off a new series. Um, because typically for holidays, <clears throat> we, don't, we don't do like special messages for holidays except for like Easter and Christmas. <clears throat> and so we are kicking off a new series on, on the minor prophets. And let me just say that the, the, the teaching is a little strange to do on Mother's Day. Um, and you'll see why as we get into it. But I remember a number of years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine um, and, and the person was, 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 wasn't a Christian, and they were asking me, you know, what is, what is the Bible? Like, what is the point of the Bible? What is it all about? And I remember um, I was about to kind of give them the answer that I would typically give and say, you know, it's our, it's our rule book. It's our guidebook. It, it tells us how to live. And I remember the, the, the Lord kind of stopping me in my tracks, saying, that's not really what it is. You know, there's, there's things in the Bible that are, there are some guidelines, there are some rules, there are some real, there's a lot of really good wisdom and how we should live. But the really, what the Bible is, is, you know, this may be a little bit of an oversimplification, but the Bible is a love story between God and his people. It started in the garden when God created humans and said, oh, they are very good, I love them. He created them to be in relationship with him and they had this close close relationship and and most of us know the story that there was a fracture in that relationship. There was sin that entered the world that caused a a rift, that caused a a distance between us and God And, and, and the rest of the Bible is the story of God saying, I am going to fix this. I'm going to woo my people back to me. I'm going to pursue them, the people that I've created to be in relationship that I love. And today as we look at the Minor Prophets, we're going to be looking at a story of a man named Hosea that's going to further this point, that's going to illuminate this point a little bit more. And so, this the minor prophets. There's actually twelve books in the Bible that we 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 say are minor prophets. There's also six major prophets. The twelve minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Thank you very much. but the, the minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets, we don't call them minor prophets because they're lesser prophets or they're less significant or they had you know not really that great of messages. They're just kind of minor messages. They are called minor prophets because their books are shorter than the major prophets. So, so we've divided them by book length, basically. But some of them are very, very significant characters. And what I found out... Over the years, and what I've I've maybe noticed is that I think this section of the Bible, the minor prophets, is probably the section of the Bible that we are probably most unfamiliar with. Uh, When I was going through those names, there may have been a few that you're like, oh, I know that guy, but I would say most of the names we're kind of unfamiliar with. A lot of the stories, we're not really sure. So that's one of the reasons that we want to do it is because we want to start studying places in the Bible that we're you know, that get neglected a lot. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a handful of them. We're not going to go through every single one, and we're not going to go verse by verse and break down uh, the, the, the different books, but we're going to look at kind of case studies of, of a number of these minor prophets and see what was the, the message that they, that they would uh, preach to the people. What was the major theme of that book of the Bible? And so before we jump into that, I think a good question to ask is what is a prophet? What's a prophet? What does it mean to be a prophet? I think, I think uh, there's a lot of misconceptions that we have about the prophetic, about prophecies, about prophets. And, and I think we're kind of unfamiliar with, with what that means or we have ideas of what it means, but I don't think they're entirely accurate. See, a prophet was simply one who was called by God to speak on his behalf. A prophet was called to speak on behalf of God. And this is a big deal. Being a prophet is, is, is especially in the Old Testament where, where there was more of a separation between God and his people. Being a prophet to speak on behalf of God was extremely important. And so a lot of times, I think when we think of the prophetic or we think of a prophet, we think of someone who can see into the future or someone who's kind of like a fortune teller. And, and there are times in the Bible where a prophet would speak into the future, would have insight into the future. But really, simply a prophet was one who would speak on behalf of God. That's, that was the major function of a prophet, essentially saying, this is what God is saying. This is what God is doing. This is what God wants you to do. This is what God wants you to say or to not do or how to behave or not to behave. And this was a very important role. If you you look throughout really the entire Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, it's really clear that there is this pattern that happens uh, throughout the, 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 the story of the people of God. And you can put up this chart. And if you start at the top, It would be God would be with his people and there would be, you know, they would be faithful and they would be following him and it would be, everything would be great. Then all of a sudden, for for one reason or another, the people would begin to, to veer off. They would begin to rebel and sometimes it would be because they got distracted. Sometimes it would be because they would start being allured by other religions, other things. But they would begin to rebel against God and typically at this point, God would send a prophet to warn them, to say, guys, come on, like, you, you gotta stop doing what you're doing. Like, turn back to God. And oftentimes, the people would turn back and, and go back to that first stage up at top. But most of the time, what we would see is they would continue doing what they were doing, and God's judgment would come upon them. And and what I want uh, us to kind of think about when we talk about God's judgment cuz that can kind of make us feel a little uncomfortable sometimes but think about it as like a loving father disciplining his kids so when i when i discipline my daughter it's not out of anger it's not out of frustration it's not because i'm just mad at her i discipline her because i want what's best for her and 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 it's you know that again is an oversimplification, but God disciplines those that He loves. So His goal is all is that we would we would turn back to Him, is that we would come back to Him. So again, probably around this point, He would probably send another prophet to tell you, repent, 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 and eventually the people of God would repent. They would turn back to God, and they would be back at the top top uh, phase. And it would start again. And I've noticed that this pattern is not unique to the people of Israel. This pattern is pretty typical in my life. And I would imagine it's pretty typical in in most of our lives that we'll be walking with the Lord, we'll be doing well, and we'll get distracted, or we'll we'll just start making bad choices, and then we'll face the consequences of those choices, and then we'll say, oh God, oh, I'm sorry, and we'll turn back to him, and that cycle repeats. And really, the thing that I find interesting is the principles that God speaks to through these prophets— where he's challenging the people of Israel through the prophets, they're the same principles that we are challenged with today. They're the same issues, the same things that we're dealing with. Sometimes they can look different. They can play out different. But you know what I love? In in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, there's a verse that says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Essentially what this means is the struggles that we face, the hardships that we face, are the same things that, that they were struggling with back in the Old Testament. Now how it plays out may look different. We may read these stories and think, well, we don't, we don't really struggle with building big statues and worshiping them. Or, or you know what, well, we str- like, they didn't have to deal with like, the internet and all that, but the heart issues are the same. The core issues of why they would turn to idols or, or why we would turn to the internet or whatever it is, it's the same issue. So, so, so really, the reason I say this is because one of the reasons we're studying the, 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 the minor prophets is so we can be more familiar with them. But also, we're hoping that they would act as a mirror to our lives, that as we look at these stories, we would begin to see some of ourselves in them. That we would see our struggles play out in the people of Israel. And so I just want to encourage you, every time that there's a challenge, every time that, that the prophet says, people of Israel, you know, fill in the blank, you know, put your name in there. That the challenge that God is, is giving to the people of Israel is, is, is maybe a challenge for you today. So why don't we jump in and look at this particular story. So, like I said, we're going to be looking at the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet in the 8th century B.C., and if this, if this makes sense, or it was pre-exile. Um, and this, that's before they w- were taken over by the Babylonians. And Hosea is not the writer of the book, but it's a collection of his teachings. It's a collection of the things that he had said, the prophecies that God had given him. We're not sure who the writer was. Um, And and really, the book of Hosea is divided into three sections. And all three sections have kind of uh, different aspects of, 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 of how they communicate the same theme. And the theme of Hosea is all about unfaithfulness and faithfulness. And, and, and we're going to be looking at the first section, which is the first three chapters, because I think it really lays out the theme through the entire book. And the first three chapters, of Hosea is all about his marriage. It's all a, a look at his marriage. And, and just a little bit about Israel at the time. Israel was doing really well. Israel was very very successful at this point they were you know had great relationships with the countries around them politically they're doing well financially there was lots of success the people were were pretty happy but morally and spiritually there was a major decline they were pretty morally bankrupt at this time they were You know, they had temple prostitutes turning to all these sexually perverse things. They were worshipping idols. They were, you know, not worshipping the one true God. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up. That's the landscape of where we're going to start reading in in the book of Hosea. But we're going to start in chapter 1 with verse 2. And it says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, "Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and conceived and bore him a son. So God tells Hosea to marry this promiscuous I mean, think about how hard this would be to marry a woman named Gomer. That would be no. I mean, think about this would be so difficult. I mean, God tells this man, hey, I want you to go marry this promiscuous woman named Gomer. And remember, I gave you warning that this is a strange Mother's Day teaching, but it is. But God says, Hosea, I want you to do this. I want you to marry this this unfaithful woman because my people have been unfaithful to me. He's asking Hosea to let his life be an illustration, to be a demonstration of of the relationship between God and his people. He doesn't say, Hosea, I want you to go preach a sermon about unfaithfulness. He says, Hosea, I want your life to be the sermon. I want your life to be the sermon. And he, he goes on to expand on this a bit. And he talks about this a little bit more. But he's essentially saying, God, my people, or, or, or Hosea, my people have been unfaithful to me. And so the first blank in your notes, remember the mirror. When we see him saying, my people have been unfaithful, we can say, I have been unfaithful. So the first blank is, we are unfaithful. We're unfaithful. And this is, you know, I think this is an interesting analogy. And this analogy of the marriage between God and and us is one that we don't talk about a lot. I think sometimes in in the Western culture, we're uncomfortable with this analogy. But when we look through the Bible, there's all of these pictures about the relationship between God and us. And we see it sometimes like he's like a father or he's like a shepherd or he's like a king. But there is all throughout Scripture, there's this picture of, of him being like our spouse. It's all throughout Scripture. In fact, when, when, when Jesus came along and he called us his bride, that would have been really impactful to people because God was known as the husband to his people. So when Jesus came and said, I am the husband, they would have been like, oh, wow, what are you saying? That There's a lot of meaning in that. But we see this analogy all throughout the Bible. Here's one example in Isaiah 54. Isaiah says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all of Israel. We see this all in, in the Psalms and, and Song of Songs. We see it all throughout, throughout the Bible. And I think there's, there's, it's really intentional that we have this, uh, this picture in the Bible of, 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 of a groom and his bride uh, and I think there's a lot of, of important things that we can see about what's unique about that kind of relationship. And, and one of the things that's unique is that in a marriage, the relationship between a husband and, and, and a wife is, is a relationship that is of, of very high priority. It is, it is a relationship that you say, you know, this relationship with, with my wife or you may say this relationship with my husband has to take top priority in my life out of all the other relationships that I have. That's why one of the vows that you say in, in, in a wedding is that you will forsake all others. It's saying that I choose this relationship first. It's not saying that other relationships aren't special or or just as meaningful or anything like that. But it's saying it take you have to choose it first. And and any time that I've heard this uh, being taught, and if it's a, even a class on marriage about choosing your spouse first, there's there's always a little bit of tension. Like, well, what about? What about with your kids? Don't you choose your kids first? And, and the truth is, is the reason why you don't is because eventually your kids need to leave the nest. You know, when they're like 40 or whatever, when they're, you know, but eventually it's, it's healthy for kids to say, now you're on your own. But the relationship with your spouse, ideally, is for a Lifetime. It's for a lifetime. So it's a relationship that is, 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 should take top priority that you would say, my relationship with my spouse has to be the, my, 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 my primary relationship. And again, it doesn't mean it's more important or better or anything like that, but it has to take top priority. And God is saying that he wants to have that relationship with us. That we would say, God, my relationship with you is my primary relationship. It is the first relationship that I choose. That nothing comes above that relationship. It can't be a side relationship. It can't be one that you say, I enjoy that one. We got coffee every once in a while. You know, we, we, we catch a movie or watch a basketball game. It's, it's not one of those. It has to say, this is of the utmost importance. That you choose this relationship. That our relationship can't, with God can't be like, I come to church every once in a while, and every once in a while I, I check in and see how he's doing. And I'll throw him some of my prayer. It has to be our primary relationship. That's what God is asking for us. But the other thing that we see in, in a marriage, in a healthy marriage at least, is there is a, a, a level of intimacy that a marriage is a very intimate relationship in a lot of ways, and some of those ways I'm not gonna get into, so you can take a deep breath. But really, the, the, the one way that I wanna talk about is it's intimate in, in the way of knowledge. I've heard it said that intimate, intimacy can be, you, every time you see the word intimacy, you can think of the phrase, into me see, to see into me. That there would be a vulnerability, and openness that you would say, I want you to, to know all there is about me. And I want to know all there is about you. And there's a intimacy requires knowledge that is close. You can't know someone from afar and be intimate with them. You can't just know a bunch of facts. Like when I'm trying to, to be romantic with my wife, I don't just, you know, list off a bunch of facts about her. Like you are this tall. You were born on this day at this hospital. And, and I find sometimes that's our relationship with God. We know a lot about him. But do we really know him? Do we really know him and does he know us? Is there intimacy? And that's what God desires with us. That's why He He uses this analogy of of a marital relationship, that there would be intimacy in our relationship with God. And because of the nature of a of a of a marriage, there are some unique things that I think that when a spouse When my wife says something to me, it holds a lot more weight than if someone else does. Let me give you an example. If you were to come to me and say, JT, you are a great guy. You're a really good guy. I would say, oh, thanks. And it it might mean a lot to me, but probably part of me would be thinking, I got you fooled. You don't know how irritable I am in the mornings. You don't know how I lost my temper yesterday. You don't know how, you know, all of those things. But if my wife was to say that, Laura, if you're listening, if you were to say that, (laughs) no, she, she. if, if my wife says, JT, you are, you're the best guy that I know. You're the kindest man that I know. That would be like, but you, man, you know how grumpy I get. You know how short my temper is, how short my fuse is. You you know this, and you'd still say that about me? Because of the intimacy in that relationship, and that's true with God. That his words can, he wants to have that, where his words can have that level of depth. That when he speaks identity over you, when he says, this is how I see you, that it wouldn't be just like, oh, thanks, God but it would, it would deeply affect you. And the opposite is true. When my wife hurts me, it hurts a lot more. When I hurt my wife, it hurts a lot more. When there's unfaithfulness in a marriage, it hurts a lot more than unfaithfulness in like a business relationship. Or, or even... Unfaithfulness in a friendship Those things can hurt really bad But when there is unfaithfulness in a marriage That hurts at a level that's unlike any other relationship And I think God wants us to know that That that's how his relationship with us is That when we are unfaithful to him When we turn our back and and begin pursuing other relationships More than we pursue with him It deeply hurts him. That it's not just like, you know, sometimes when we think of of sin or we think of stuff like this, we think of like we're just breaking these cosmic rules. We're breaking the rules of God. But I think God is saying, no, it's, it's so much more than that. It hurts me deeply. And sometimes the things that we, we put in that primary spot, they're not, they're not bad things. Like, they're not like, you know, we're bank robbers or we're like, you know, doing drugs. It could be things like, I'm choosing, you know, fitness over you. I'm choosing my kids over you or I'm choosing, you know, my comfort or my job or, or I'm choosing, you know, this, this political thing over you. This political, you know, it could have been like a real noble political movement or something. And it becomes the priority in our life. And God is saying, you're choosing that over me. You're you're, you're being unfaithful to me. God sees us as his bride. And just as Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea, we are unfaithful to him. We have turned to other things. We have, we have made him a lesser priority. And he's asking us now to turn back to him. To turn back to him. And maybe in this story, it's it's things like they have turned to, to worshipping these idols, these statues. But for us, our idols today are, are things like money, and career, and, and self-image, and comfort, and TV and, and food and sex and drugs and all these other things that we have turned to. God is saying when you turn to those things, I don't want you to think about it like you're breaking a rule. But like you're, you're breaking a wedding vow. So what is, what is the thing in your life today that has captured your affection? What is the thing in your life that's taken top priority that you've given the most attention to? You say this above all things. Maybe it's happened unintentionally. Again, maybe it's, it's education. Maybe it's, it's your, maybe it's your kids. Maybe soccer practice and, and what your kids do take top priority in your life. Maybe it's your career. Maybe, you know, it's any number of things. And God is asking you to, to say, no, I, I'm not telling you necessarily to give those things up. Maybe he is. But he's saying, I need you to put them in the right order. I need you to put me first. We have given our attention to all these things. We are unfaithful. But you know what? I think the main point of this story is not Our unfaithfulness. I think the main thing that we see in the life of Hosea is not the unfaithfulness of us, it's the faithfulness of God. So your next point is God's faithfulness. Listen to how God describes uh, the way he loves us, the way he is faithful to us in the next chapter. In chapter two, it says, I will betroth you forever. Remember, this is after he says that we are unfaithful. He says, I will betroth you forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. His love for us is faithful. He is faithful to us and it is forever it's forever. God is faithful to you forever. But, 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 but what if I really turn my back on him? What if I really blow it? He is faithful to you forever. Yeah, but what if I keep on doing it? Like, what if I keep on making the same mistake over and over again? He's got to get fed up. No, he is faithful to you Forever. Forever, He says that you have been unfaithful, but he is faithful. And we, we, we keep on reading the story of, of Hosea and Gomer, and you'll see that Gomer continued to be unfaithful. And it, it began to get bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where she started becoming a prostitute. And in fact, um, it it goes on to say that she became basically a sex slave. She was purchased by, by someone and she was owned by this other person and she was being pimped out as a prostitute. She had left Hosea. And listen to what God says to Hosea. It says, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man, and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes—that was a a, 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 a traditional um, meal that they would eat when they were worshiping idols. And he says, "So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and about a homer and a lathek of barley." So here is what's happening. Here comes Hosea you know his wife has left him, turned to prostitution and God says, I want you to go get her back. And most likely what would have been ha- happening at this point is, is Gomer would have been put up for auction. She would have been standing in front of a, a bunch of people similar to this. She would have been stripped naked, treated as, as like cattle or like property and people would have been bidding on her how demeaning like all of her all of her just everything that she was would have been stripped away all of the things that would have been valued all it was just so demeaning no dignity so, just shaming her. And Hosea would have come to this auction and he bought her back. People bidding on her and he says, I, I want her. And here's what's really cool. Is, is you can tell um, by the, 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 what he bought her with that he bought her with basically everything that he had. He didn't have enough money. He didn't have enough silver, so he had to scramble and, 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 and get other things and say, well, I, I don't have enough, but I will, I'll give you everything. I'll give you all that I have to, to get you back. And what he says to her is really powerful, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it, and then I'm gonna kind of explain some of the stuff to you, but he says, and then I told her, you are to live with me many days, you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. So this is a really hard little chunk to translate. And, and really, most scholars, most of the, pretty much every commentary I read, all the studying I did on this said this is very difficult to translate. It would take like pages to, to explain what he's saying here. But I'm going to break it down a little bit. Um, basically we, what what Hosea is saying to Gomer is he's saying I'm purchasing you back but not to make you my slave. I'm not purchasing you back to, to to prove a point or to 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 like make you my slave or anything like that. He's like I'm purchasing you out of slavery because I want to I want to love again. I want us to be a family. I want us to have a relationship. I love you. I'm not buying you to get revenge, anything like that. I'm buying you so we can be together, so you can be mine. And he says, but listen, you you have to stop what you're doing. You can't continue doing this. And And he says that after he already purchased her. So he doesn't say conditionally, like I'll buy you in the condition that you stop what you're doing. He says, I I purchased you. I bought you out of slavery. But you you gotta stop. You can't continue to do this. And and again, he paid full price for it. And then the last thing he says is probably the the thing that I think it's translated the worst, but basically, when he says to her, um, "and I will behave the same way towards you," this would have been so crazy for a man to say to a woman at that point in time. Women were treated as property; they were looked at as property. And essentially, what what Hosea was saying to Gomer was, "I will be yours. I will be yours." And see, a, a man would oftentimes say, you are mine, you belong to me. But for a man to say, and, and I belong to you, would have been so countercultural at that time. And think about how honoring that would be to that woman, to, to Gomer, who is just complete, completely humiliated, um, Years of being demeaned and, and all these things, and for him to say something so honoring, so valuing with so much dignity, so much respect, so powerful. But here's the thing: This story is not about how good of a guy Hosea was. It's not about uh, you know, how, how love conquers all and true love can, can win things back. And, and this is, you know, what a you know, a good marriage. It's not about that. This story is about how God sees you and what God has done for you. This is a picture about how God loves you, how faithful He is to you. God is saying that even though you have been unfaithful, that you turn your back on me and you turn to these other things. And even though you've sold yourself to these other things, you've become a slave to these other things, I will be faithful to you. 2 Timothy, we are faithless. He remains faithful. It's who he is. who he is. So if you are here today and you're, you're thinking, man, I feel like God has turned his back on me. I, I want to tell you, he will never turn his back on you. He is always for you. His affection for you is so great. His love for you is so relentless, so passionate, no matter how much we mess up, no matter how many times we blow it, no matter how big of a mess we make things, no, no matter how much we, we, we've lost focus in our life, he is still for you. He loves you more than you can imagine. More than you can imagine. We are probably more unfaithful than we can imagine, and he is, he is more faithful to us than, than we could ever dream of. And do you know that his faithfulness cost him? It cost him. Just like Hosea's faithfulness cost him. See, God had to pay a price to get you back. Just like Hosea, Gomer Gomer turns her back on Hosea, leaves him. Turns to these other things. Ends up like doing all of these other things and, and is so unfaithful. Turns to prostitution. Becomes a slave. Is sitting at this auction. And people bidding on her. I'll give you, I'll give you 10 pieces of silver. I'll give you 12. I'll give you 13. And here comes Hosea saying, I will give you all that I have. I will give you everything. And the auctioneer says, sold to Hosea for all that he has. Hosea covers her naked body, covers her shame and says, I I love you. I bought you because I love you and I want to be with you and I want you to be with me and I I want to have this relationship and I need you to stop what you're doing. But I, I love you. And this is how God treats us. This is what God did for us see we have turned to so many other things and just like gomer we are slaves to those things the bible tells us that we are slaves to sin maybe you're a slave to to your career maybe you're a slave to, to, to your reti- your retirement maybe you're a slave to ego to 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 you know education to addiction, to to your desires, to behaviors, but we are slaves. And the Bible says that we have been put up for auction. We have been put up at an auction and the world is bidding on us. The world is bidding on us saying, you know, I'll buy you with money. I'll buy you with with the career you always dreamed of. I'll buy you with the American dream. I'll buy you with acceptance. I'll buy you with popularity. I'll buy you with, with, with drugs. I'll buy you with sex. I'll buy you with whatever. And then Jesus steps in and says, I will buy you with everything that I have. I will give my life for you. And God, as the auctioneer says, sold to my son, Jesus, for everything that he has. Jesus wraps us up, takes away our shame. And that's the message of Hosea. And listen, we don't know. That's the end of this story with him and and Gomer. We don't know what happens after that. And I really hope, maybe because I'm just an optimist, I, I really hope that, that you know, their marriage was beautiful and wonderful, but the marriage could have continued to be unfaithful. And I think the truth is is that even though many of us here, we, we, you know, we have given our life to Jesus. We've been bought out of slavery. We are no longer slaves. But we still continue to walk in those things that we were enslaved to or enslaved by. And it doesn't change the fact that God is still faithful to us. That's what God is offering you today. I know there are people here today who have never given their life to God, who have never accepted that that gift of being bought out of slavery. Do you know that the word redeem? That we see in the Bible, the word redeem means to be purchased out of slavery. And God redeems us. He purchases us out of slavery. That's what he's offering you today. He's saying that thing that has ruled your life. I want to buy you out of that to give you freedom. Freedom. I don't want to buy you out of that to put you in another form of slavery. I want you to be free. I want you to be with me and I want to be with you. That's that's the message of the gospel. That is what Jesus is offering you today. And I know there are people here who've never accepted that. And so today I want to give you a chance to accept that. And so as we end off, I'm going to just say a prayer. So can we can we bow our heads? And if you want to say this prayer with me, I just want to invite you to pray with me and make my words yours. So, Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. And I just admit that I have been unfaithful. And Lord, I, I don't know if I can ever commit to, to being completely faithful to you, but I know I want your faithfulness to me and I want to enter into a relationship. So I turn away from those other things and I turn to you right now. And I want to enter into a relationship with you. Now, with our heads bowed, if you said that prayer with me, can you raise your hand? Bless you. Just raise your hand. Bless you. Anyone else? Okay, put your hand down. We can, why don't we stand? You know, I think, I think there are a few things that God wants to minister to today as we end off. And one of my favorite things about this church is that, like we were talking about with intimacy, that we don't, we don't just want to talk about God from afar or talk about the principles, but we want to interact with Him. We want to be with Him. And I feel like God wants to be with us today and to interact with us. And so there are a few things that I feel like the Lord wants to minister to. And, and the, the first one is that there, I think there are some people here who feel like they have lost focus in different areas of your life. And, and it may be completely that you've walked away from the Lord or it may just be in certain aspects and you think, man, I, I have been putting my focus and my affection and my energy on this thing, or you know, whatever this thing is, and the Lord is wants you back, and He said, "I want to, I want to ask you to come back to me." And so, also, I think there are people here today who um, the whole topic of unfaithfulness, and even the topic of marriage, it was stirring something up in you that was uncomfortable. That maybe you were in a relationship where someone was unfaithful to you. Maybe maybe you are are single and and marriage has been a sore spot for you. And I feel like the Lord wants to to love you in a really special way. And be really close with you today. And, And also, kind of on the same vein, what we were talking about at the beginning about Mother's Day... I feel like the Lord wants to minister to people that, that today is a hard day for you. That if you've lost a mother, if you have, uh, you know, have been estranged from your mother, if you've lost kids, or if your kids are, have walked away, or if, 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 you know, you've never been able to have kids. And I, I felt like even the Lord wanted me to say that uh, he, he wants to, to do some healing with infertility today. To bless people who uh, wanted kids and haven't been able to have them, but I just want to invite you up that if, if motherhood has been a sore spot in your life, the Lord wants to minister to you. And then also, if there's anyone who has pain in their bodies, who has physical pain, emotional pain, who is dealing with a hard situation in their life, and you need prayer, we want, we, we want to be a church that prays for each other. We love to pray, so I want to invite you up you can begin to make your way up to the front. We'd, we'd love to pray for you. So Sarah's gonna lead us in one last song as we, as we minister. Some of those calls where maybe maybe you can feel uncomfortable to respond to. And, and so just even even if, if you felt like that was in your heart, but you didn't you didn't want to come forward, we just I just pray for you today. I just pray a blessing over you today. I pray that the Lord would draw really near to you, that there would be healing where healing is needed, that there would be restoration where restoration is needed. Lord, and we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that even though we are unfaithful, you are faithful. That you are for us no matter what, Jesus. We thank you that you paid such a great cost. Lord, help us never forget. We Love you. Amen. Well, bless you guys today. Have a, have a wonderful Mother's Day, those who are celebrating. And, and we have flowers and bookmarks. We have enough for, for all the women in the church. So if if you are a mother or not, you're more than welcome to, to pick one up. And as you leave, pick up your six-pack. Think of people who you could be inviting to church. Bless you guys.